Holy Spirit, we invite you into this assembly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Put your hands together and bless the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, I said hallelujah. Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord? All right. All right. I, we are bringing sacrifice to a close today. I attempted to preach this sermon on Sunday and it didn't work. It went totally to the left. So I'm going to try it again today, tonight. Is that all right? If it doesn't work, then we'll forget about it. <laughs> if you don't get it, forget it. All right. First Kings 17. First Kings 17. We are going to give it another go. First Kings 17. Verse 8 to 16. The Bible says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded the widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gates of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said to her, Bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called out to her and said, Please bring me a muscle of bread in, uh, in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I have, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat and die. Hallelujah. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as I have said, but make me a small cake from it first. Somebody say first. Make me a cake from it what? First. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of oil shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which was spoken by Elijah. Here ends the reading of his holy word. The power of the altar of sacrifice. Somebody say the power. Oh, say like you mean it. The power of the altar of sacrifice. Listen, sacrifice is one of the secret strengths that we have in Christ. The secret strength we have as Christians is hidden in sacrifice. A lot of us do not know that, oh, I'm not supposed to be moving, okay. I'll stay there, don't worry. 
I'll be obedient. I'll stay. I'll stay. Don't worry. I was trying to use a little bit of guilt trip to see whether it will work. Hallelujah. Amen. So, if you want to know the power you have in Christ, the power you have in God, learn to use this mystery of the altar of sacrifice. Amen. You see, a lot of us, especially charismatic Christians, we don't know the power of the altar that we worship on. A lot of us, we treat this side as a stage. A stage is for, 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 for performance. Today, I haven't eaten my banana, so it's not working. A stage is for what? Performance. An altar is for sacrifice. There are two different things. When you have a stage or a platform, what you do there is not the same as what you do on, a, on, a, on an altar. Am I making sense? A lot of us also don't know that sacrifice is the secret power or secret source that we have as Christians. A lot of us don't know. So one, we don't respect the altar Two, we don't put any sacrifice on it. Am I making sense? Because we see it as a stage. That's why you see people come and eat. You see people come and sit, stand here and gossip. Because they don't realize the power that is in the place. When Jacob saw a certain revelation, he said, alas, this is what the presence of God is the altar of God because I have seen a vision of a ladder that goes from the ground to heaven and angels are ascending and descending on it. This is none other than the house of God and on this stone I will build an altar when God helps me. So the Bible says he gathered the stones and he poured oil on it. That specific action denotes that that place was the altar of God. Bible historians say that that was exactly where God commanded for the um, temple to be built. Hallelujah. Are, are you understanding that? Because a lot of us, we, we treat, we trivialize, and it's Satan's ploy. It's Satan's ploy to get us to be weak. Because we don't understand the intricacies of the God we serve. We don't understand the power we have. And you see, when you don't know the use of something, abuse is inevitable. Am I making sense? So when you don't know what you carry, you don't know the power of the cross, you don't know the altar of sacrifice that we have, obviously you're not going to do anything with it. And so you will not benefit from it. Hallelujah. So I want to give us, I can, I was thinking about this, I can give you about 20 Mysteries or 20 things that this altar of sacrifice can do for you. But for the sake of time, we'll see how we go. Hallelujah. The altar of sacrifice, number one. Can we start? Are you okay? All right. The way you are quiet, I'm wondering whether you are alive or... You are alive. All right. 
Number one, the altar of sacrifice has the ability or the power to bring a supernatural turn around. See, today I want to use big, big words to scare you a little bit, to make you understand. The altar of sacrifice has a supernatural ability or the supernatural ability to bring a, it has the ability to bring a supernatural turn around. Now, the story we just read, this woman was gathering a couple of sticks to go and bake her last meal for herself and her son to eat. And after that, what was going to happen? They would die. That was supposed to be the logical state of affairs. That was what goes, the calendar that they had is like, we're going to eat today, then we'll start the days of starving till we can't starve anymore and then we die. But the altar of sacrifice brought a supernatural turnaround. When the man of God said to, to, to the woman, go and bake for me a cake first. What the man of God said meant that instead of your harvest, turn it into a seed and sow it. Sow it to me first to eat. And afterwards, see what God is going to do with your, your little jar of um, oil and a, a little flour you have. And he said that this flour and this oil will never run out until the Lord sends rain. That sacrifice changed the turn of events. Are you with me? And how many know that God is not a respecter of persons? If God has done something for somebody, it means God can do it for you. If God has done something in the word of God, then you, you know that surely he will do the same thing. He is a God of yesterday, a God of today, and a God of tomorrow. If he did it for the widow, he will do it for you. When things are going bad, take that last oil. Take the last flower. Sacrifice it. Oh, you didn't hear what I said. Sacrifice it. The Christians that we have today, they don't know that thing. That is not in our vocabulary. Rather, we'll go around complaining. We'll eat the little uh, bread we have and the little oil, whatever, we'll eat it. And then we'll go around complaining that the Lord has not been fair to me. The Lord has not blessed me. And then we'll complain till we die. And indeed, we'll, because God is a God of principle. If he has set principles in motion, he will not change it. Not for you or for me. Uh, are you getting it? In Genesis chapter 8, verse 26, that while the earth remains, seed time and harvest will not what? Cease. He's put principles in the way, in, 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 on the earth. There are principles. If you follow the principle, it will work for you. It's seed time or it's harvest. So you either sow what you have or eat what you have. When you eat it, it's a harvest. When you sow it, it's a seed. If you sow it, then you, the natural process of the system of the world is what? A harvest. If you sow a seed, you will get a harvest. Hallelujah. So, you don't have to wait for a special occasion. For us to have, we are raising funds before you 
you think about sowing. It's according to your life. I don't know what you are looking for. I don't know what is, is wrong with your life, what is your financial state is, what you are believing God for. But the secret of a blessing and a complete supernatural turnaround is sowing. Hallelujah. A lot of us don't do that. And you see, sometimes we as pastors, we are compelled not to preach some of these messages. Because I don't want you to think that I want your money. But how many of you would agree with me that it's very some way for the, the prophet to come? You know it's there's farming. You know this is a widow. Obviously, she doesn't have anything. There's no source of income. And then you say to the widow, cook me your last meal. I know you don't have any other meal to eat, but cook that one for me to eat. How selfish can you be? It's a very greedy, selfish person, isn't it? I'm sure that if the tabloid newspaper had it, they will print it. These type of pastors that have come, they are very greedy and selfish. In the days of, I mean, times of famine and, and, and the scarcity, you say that the poor widow must sacrifice her meal for you to eat. What about you giving the little you have to the, the widow? And we will, we will get people who blog about this. We'll get people who write on it. We'll get people who comment about it negatively. So the pastors have been muted. And we don't realize that Satan has used people to take away the secret power that we have. Are you getting it? So pastors are scared to talk about some of these things. We are scared because we don't want you to think we want to steal something from you. You are looking for a job. There's no job. There's more oil you have. There's more flour you have. Sow it. Really, it won't make any difference whether you eat it or you don't eat it. <laughs> How many know, know that one meal, quite frankly, will not make a difference whether in your life, whether you die or not? How many understand? If it's your last food and you eat it, by a few days, you'll be dead. Are you with me? If you sow it, there's a probability that a harvest might come before you die. But you will die anyway. <laughs> How many understand what I'm trying to say? So really, why don't you sow it? You want a complete turnaround, supernatural turnaround in your life. Sow it. Sow something. And that thing must be, be life or death. You see, sometimes what we sow is not, it doesn't move God. Uh, how many know that when it's farming, and I don't know how long this woman has been saving this flour and this oil, but it was virtually her life. Uh, am I making sense? It was virtually her life. If the farming had been going on for more than uh, uh, two years, and that is all that she had left. It means that's her life savings. So if the man of God says that, sow it, what he's saying is that, be prepared to die for my sake. How many understand what I'm saying? Yeah. But we don't, we don't preach this message in the church these days. We don't preach it. 
because we don't want you to call us thieves. <laughs> Are you getting it? Yeah. And that is why that power is lost in the church. But I pray that that power will come back. I say, I pray that that power will come back. I pray that we'll become people that so crazily to change things in our lives. Hallelujah. Number two, are you, are you okay with me? Should we run fast? Or you want me to take my time? Because I can, I can list them for you. And then we'll share the grace and go home. Even if there's a curse, the altar of sacrifice has the power to reverse it. Genesis 8. Genesis chapter 8. Verse 20 to 21, the Bible says that, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and every clean bed and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. Amen. Man had sinned. There was so much sin that God decided to wipe the whole earth with rain and flood and came and wiped completely everybody. The anger of God was still raging. And Noah came out of the ark and took every clean bed, every clean animal, and sacrificed it. That rage, that anger was pacified, and God repented from cursing the earth and said, I will never again. You see, a curse is a mysterious hand that prevents you from achieving something. I don't know whether you understand what I'm saying. A hand that holds you. You know, I'm looking for somebody to use as an example. Okay, who is the closest person I've become? Okay, so if this lady is cursed, God forbid you will not be cursed. If this lady is cursed, try walking. So she's, she's not understanding why everybody's progressing but she cannot progress. Everybody's getting married, but she cannot get married. Everybody's having a child. She alone, she cannot have a child. Everything she does doesn't work. What it means is that there is a hand. Whether she can, she can use a lot of intelligence. She, she's a lawyer, so she can use a lot of intelligence and a lot of grammar to describe her situation. Oh, there's a recession. Oh, there is, you know, discrimination. Oh, there, there is, a, what do you call it, a lack of whatever experience. You can use all the jargons. But a case is something, an invisible hand that is holding you at the same place. And you can't move. One of the quickest things that can break a case is the altar of sacrifice. Oh, you missed a good place to put your hand together.
it, it, a, a sacrifice will break that altar. Let me show you a scripture. Come with me to First Kings. Second Kings, sorry, three. Verse twenty-six. Then the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him. I'm showing you a negative sacrifice. This is a negative one that changes situation. Now, king of Moab had come against Israel, has come against God's people, and was fighting against God's people. So, Moab represents Satan. Is that okay? When the king saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew the sword to break through the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his eldest son, who would reign in his place, and offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was great indignation against Israel. So they departed from him and returned to their land. I don't know whether you understand what I'm saying. There's a complete turnaround because this guy did a crazy thing. He offered his son. You see, a principle is a principle whether it's obeyed by God's people or Satan's people. That's the reason why unbelievers are blessed and Christians are not blessed. <laughs> I don't know whether you understand what I'm saying. Give and it shall be given to you. The liberal soul shall be made fat. It's a principle. He didn't say that the Christian liberal person will be made fat. He never said that. He says anyone who gives, whether the person goes is high on drugs or not, if he's a giver, he'll be blessed. It doesn't matter how much tongues you speak. If you don't give, you will not be blessed. <laughs> it's a principle. A principle is something you cannot break. Your shalabada eye it will never break a principle. So you'll be praying and praying and praying and praying, and your situation will never change because you are breaking a principle. Hallelujah. It's a principle that when the altar of sacrifice is engaged, situation will turn around. A curse will be broken. These people, Moabites, they are cursed people. If you read the, the scripture, the, the chapter before, God had pronounced and told Israel that you are going to win this battle. Which means that God was against Moab from the get-go. And Moab had come strong to fight. When they saw that the battle was too strong and they were losing, the king took his son and burnt the son as a sacrifice. The reason why the Sangomas, the Jujus, and the Voodoo's seem to have more power than we believers is because they use and they obey the principle of the altar of sacrifice, and we don't. I don't know whether you understand what I'm saying. They understand the principle of sacrifice. And so they will sacrifice anything. You can never go to a Sangoma without bringing a cow or a goat or a sheep. Whatever the issue is, the first thing they will say to you, bring some money. 
bring something, put it on this thing. What they are saying is that put it on the altar of sacrifice. Your situation will change. And guess what? When you put the goat there, the situation changes. You say that this God is very powerful. No, no, no. It's a principle that you have obeyed. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest will never pass. Oh, I'm preaching better than you are amening. Hallelujah. How many understand what I'm saying? Let us learn. This power is not reserved for Moab. This power is for Israel. This power is for God's people. But God's people refuse to sacrifice. They thought they have God on their side. So they don't need any sacrifice. Listen, I've been doing this job for a long time. A long time. Over 20 years I've been doing this job. I can tell you something. And I've preached in many, many countries. And I've been, I've pastored, at least I've pastored in, in about three, four countries. And I can tell you something. It doesn't matter how rich the church is or how poor the church is. Only about 20% of the population pay tithe and offering. Only about 20% engage the Lord and give the altar. And this is not just in, this is not, not just any one country, everywhere. Because we see our seed as harvest. Are you getting it? So your income, you see it as a harvest. You don't see it as a seed. So you don't sow. That is how come you are shatter, aita, 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 bata. You are speaking all the tongues and you are still broke and you still remain broke. It's not that God is not powerful. But you are not engaging him. This same person will have a, a situation that will push him to go to the Sangoma. They'll go to the Sangoma or they'll go to the voodoo or the juju place and the juju person will say, bring a cow and they'll go and find a cow. And then they'll sacrifice the cow and things will work. And then they'll say that there's power in the shrine and there's no power in the house of God. We have made the house of God powerless because we haven't engaged the altar. I think you missed another place to put your hands together. Hallelujah. How many understand what I'm saying? We have made this place, we have, in fact, first of all, we have turned into a stage. That's number one. When you ask people to come and pray here, they don't want to pray. But I can, I bet you, whatever the issue is, you don't have to wait for a service. Find a seat and come and engage the altar. Come and pray your prayer and deposit the seat and go. Whether there's anybody here or not, that's not the problem. You pray. This, the altar has a voice. How many know that? The altar has a voice. This place has, is an altar. And that altar here, the altar here has a voice. And that altar will speak for you. Oh, I said that altar will speak for you. Hallelujah. Learn to engage it. The altar of sacrifice, number three, allows God to also know your heart and what's in your heart. 
How many know that you don't even know what is in your heart? In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 to 11, the Bible says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Somebody say, I don't know my heart. You don't even know what is inside of you. You don't know what you are capable of doing. I, the Lord, search the hearts. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing, as a partridge that broods, but does not hatch. So is he who gets rich, but not by right, but not by right. It will leave him in the midst of his days, and at his end, he will be a fool. Amen. But you see, God is looking at the heart. In Genesis 22, verse 12, the Bible says that, and he said, this is God. Remember the story of Abraham trying to kill his son Isaac on the altar of sacrifice when he used the, he was going to use the knife to kill him. Then the Lord says that do not touch the lad. This is what he, God said to Abraham. And he said, do not lay your hand or do anything to him. Now I know that you ought fear God. Now I know your heart. That great amount that you have all the money in your account. God says, take it and give it. If you can take it and give it, then God knows your heart. That your heart is not in the money that you have in the account. Hallelujah. Are you, are you okay with me? Whether you're okay or not, you know how to say it. <laughs> yeah. You see, the sad thing is that we pastors, we, we obey this word, though. But we can't teach it to you. Because we don't want you to call us thieves. But we, amongst the pastors, we obey this word. I'm looking for something. I know I, my, my, if I gather all my life, I will never be able to get it. I will take something and sow it. Heavy thing and sow it. And it opens the door. And I'm blessed. And I keep quiet. I don't talk about it. Because I don't want you to call me a thief. Then you come with the same similar problem. And I say, oh, let me pray for you. Knowing very well that when I got the case, I engaged the altar. But for you, I'll pray for you and say, go. Which one do you think God will answer? Uh, are you getting it? God needs to know your heart. The fact that you come to church all the time doesn't mean you love God. The fact that you are always kneeling and crying doesn't mean you're humble. It means you're broke. <laughs> because we will never know your, your level of humility until we see the day they are blessed. When we see your blessing, then we will know whether you're humble or not. Because now you are kneeling down. Now you are singing the choir because you are not blessed yet. I've been in the church for a long time. 
least. I started preaching before 1997. So you calculate from that time to now. I've gone past 20 years, give or take. And I've seen them come. In the choir, I've seen them come. I've seen them come and go. I became a choir director in 1988. Calculate that to now. I've seen them come and leave. They sing, they will do everything. The day they get ring on their finger and they find a rich man. That is when you know whether they love God or not. <laughs> Luke 18, 18. Now a rich, a certain ruler said to Jesus, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have done, I have kept from my youth. So Jesus, when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor. And you, you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sorrowful. For he was very rich. The rich young ruler, he says, I have obeyed all the commandments from my youth. I love the Lord. I know my heart. My heart is pure towards him. Everything God says, I will do. Where he sends we will go. What he says, we will do. And he said, okay. Go and sell everything you have. And come and follow me. Immediately the man became sad. And I like this, the end of the scripture. He says that for he was for he was what? For he was what? No, you didn't read it right. For riches had him He's not very rich. Riches had imprisoned him. That's the interpretation of the scripture you're seeing there. It was, he wasn't very rich. Riches had him as a slave. So he could not do what he wanted. What do you think the man wanted? He really wanted to follow Jesus. That was his main aim. That is why he went to Jesus. I know you're a good man. I know that you come from God. I want to follow you. So what is preventing this guy from following God, from following Jesus? Riches had him. Riches had imprisoned him. What has imprisoned you? I think I'm preaching more than your amen, you know. What is holding you? What is making you not serve God in a certain pure way? That thing has you. Whatever that thing is, it's holding you a slave. 
That's why you can't serve God in a certain way. The man loved the Lord. Said all these things I have done since I was but a youth. One thing you lack. Sell everything. And come and follow me. Anything you hold dearer than God, God will ask you to sacrifice it. Oh, anything, anything you hold dearer than God, God will ask you to sacrifice. Because you don't know what you have in your heart. I told the story of the church I had. This church, I love the church. I love the church. Every time I'll go to the church, I'll clean, I'll go to the church. Anything I see, it's like my whole income was in the church. Anything, I'll go, I'll buy it. I'll come and put it in the church. I'll go and buy it. One day the Lord said, ah, it looks like you love the church more than you love me. We're doing three, four services. Back to back, Sunday, first service, second service, third service. We're doing back to back services. Very powerful church. Very vibrant. People are coming. People are going. When service finished, as people are leaving, people are coming. Next service. Service finished, as people are going, people are coming. Next service. Service finished, as people are going, people are coming. My Lord said, transfer. You, out. I saw the church as I was leaving. The church didn't go with me. Before I realized, I was in a room with three people. <laughs> yeah. I was in a church with three people. I mean, I was, I was a very powerful pastor. When I come, as I'm, my car is landing, there are about four or five guys waiting for me. I'm telling you. You, you can ask him, I will tell you. Yeah. With flowers, people are coming with flowers every Sunday. There was from the car park. The, the car park is far from the is behind the building. So my bodyguards will come and wait. Two in front, two on the side, two at the back. They are following me as I'm coming. They watch when they when I arrive. They people are wondering who is this guy. Uh, this guy looks like you like this church more than me or this thing that I'm seeing. <laughs> I said, I don't care. Tomorrow, if God says I should leave. From that day, I learned that don't hold anything dear. So it's like, I don't hold anything. If you want to take it. That's why I transferred myself from that church. <laughs> and I gave it to Pastor Sam. Because I know that God will always want the thing that is holding you. If the church is holding you, he will ask for the church. If riches are holding you, he will ask for the riches. If the boy that is holding you, he will ask for the boy. A job is holding you. Now that you've got a job, you can't come to church. Hmm. Hmm. Let me go on before <laughs> I get into trouble. Hallelujah. 
I like this one. Satan can't take what you give to God. Satan cannot take away what you give to God. Matthew 6, 19 to 21 says that do not lay for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust does destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there... For where your treasure is, what? There will your heart be, what? Also. Hallelujah. Where your heart is. So, if you give the treasure to God, Satan can steal it. When you keep the treasure, then moth and rust can steal. Are you getting the, the trick? So what you hold is vulnerable. What you give to him is secured. So what are you going to do? How many know that Satan's job is to steal? In John chapter 10 verse 10, it says, well, The thief cometh not by for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Satan's job is to steal. He's the thief. That's his job. And he's, a very good, he's very good at that. And the way he steals it is to make you hold it away from God. That gives him the opportunity to steal it from you. That's how come you don't pay your tithe and then you get fines and you get, uh, uh, what do you call it, impromptu. People die impromptu. You have to send money. You know, somebody, emergency comes. You are losing money. The month finishes. and then, Because Satan has stolen all the money. When you give your tithe, you say, God, protect the 90. I'm giving you the 10, so you protect the 90 for me. Prove me here with, if I will not open the windows of, of heaven and pour you out a blessing, and I will, devour, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. It means that I will stop the thief from stealing from you. How many have realized that your money, you can't protect it? It's in the bank, but it's not yours. It's only one phone call or one letter. And immediately the money is, is gone. It's left your account. Just one phone call. As you are sitting here, you are counting your penny. One, two, three, four, five, six. You think you have a lot of money. Oh, don't make any mistake. Remember the car I told you about? That my car that I was going to buy. You remember? The Audi. Or the A6. I had the money. The money was ready. Um, this is not high purchase business. No, 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 no. The amount was ready. The car too was packed. All I had to do was what? Exchange. The man said, don't exchange now. Go. After Christmas, the price is going to drop by 1500 Come with the money, you will get 1500 And throughout Christmas, I was counting. Oh, God. Brand new year, brand new release, brand new car. A year of blessing. The Lord is with me. All is well. 
Monday morning, the D-Day has arrived. All I have to do is go to work, lunchtime, take my car. My car has already been valued. My car has been priced up. The guy has already given me how much he's going to take from my car for the new car and how much I need to add. Minus 1,500. Don't forget that one. Minus 1,500. So all I have to do, lunchtime, drive to the place. My car has already been emptied. Those days you have CDs and tapes and I've emptied all the tapes and CDs, everything, clean the car. All I have to do is take the car, put it there. The logbooks, everything was in the glove compartment waiting. Just go change. Woke up in the morning. Drove with my wife. My wife works. If my wife, my wife works maybe here, I work at the junction, the, the traffic lights on the belly road. That's the distance. So I drop her, then I go to work. Then the evening I pick her, and then I've just dropped her. Less than two minutes to my workplace. Packed the car. Gone in. Morning, all oh, morning, 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 morning. Sat down. Open, put my computer on. So okay, I'm going to go make coffee. So I've gone to the kitchen. I'm making my coffee. And somebody, Chris, Chris, your phone is ringing. Your phone is ringing. I picked the phone. <laughs> What's going on? Calm down, calm down. My wife is screaming and crying. What is going on? I couldn't make any sense of the phone call. Crying, crying, crying. What is the matter? Crying. When I was able, after about three, four minutes, I was able to calm her down. What is, see, your dad just died. Your dad just died. See, my crying was not because my father had died. <laughs> Immediately, I saw the Audi just go. From that day to today, I've hated Audi cars, especially Audi A6. I've hated it. It used to be my dream car. From that day to today, I've never looked at it twice. But they look ugly to me now. Because <laughs> the pain is still raw. <laughs> when we went to bury my dad, the people said, your father is a prominent man. You can't bring any casket that is not here no So, took me to the Place. He said, no, 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 you can't buy coffee, local coffee. You have to buy American casket. Huh. The, the coffee has a button. When you press it, then you come, then you sit down. <laughs> then you press it again, ooh, then it goes to lie down again. So my car. <laughs> I went to bury my car. I think I'm all right. 
to buy a car. So you see, your money, I don't care what bank it is in. I don't care what bank it is in. Okay, test the mic here. It doesn't matter what bank. It's just one phone call. I think somebody's mic is on. Make sure you put all your mics on. It's gone. One phone call, all the money is finished. Hallelujah. So you need to make sure that you give it to God so that Satan is not able to steal it. How many know that God has never owed any man? And God will never owe any man. There's nothing you give God that he will not give it back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over. See why I said I have too many, I can't give you all. How many have I given so far? I have over 20. Four. Okay, let me give one last one. Then we go home. Is that okay? Your sacrifice, your sacrifice is also the saving grace for multitudes of people. Your small sacrifice is a saving grace for multitudes of people. Hallelujah. Did you hear that? Matthew 14, 13, the Bible says that when Jesus had it, he departed from, from there. Uh, but there was a great multitude that followed him by, on foot from the city. When Jesus went out and saw the great multitude, he was moved with compassion and he healed the sick. And in the evening, the disciples came and said, this is a desert place. And the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Then Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. Give them something to eat. And he said, and they said to him, we don't have, we only have what? Five loaves and two fish. In, uh, in other um, gospels, says that a little boy had Five loaves and two fishes, isn't it? And he said, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitude to sit down, and he took the five loaves and two fishes. Looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke it and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave, gave it to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. A boy's lunch that he sacrificed. Now think about it. If that is all the food this boy had and he has to give it. It means that he's going to go without food for the whole night. Probably the whole morning. Because if he's in a desert place, it means that 
they will not be able to access food until they go to a, 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 the city or the villages nearby. And I don't know how much money the boy had in his pocket. If the boy is any type of boy I know in, in our generation, boys don't have money. <laughs> little boys are broke. Isn't that true? I mean, he's a little boy. Okay, let's say about 12-year-old boy. The food is everything. Maybe he was going, his mother gave him the, the loaves and the fishes as his lunch and dinner. That's all. They won't give him money on top of it. Isn't that what you do? I remember when my kids were, were young, it's either we give them dinner money or you give them dinner. Isn't that what they do? Uncle Fred? Yeah. You give them dinner money, then it means you don't have to give them food. Otherwise, you give them food. You give them lunch pack, and there is no dinner money. Or you give lunch pack and dinner money. Eh? Let me ask them. Maybe the newer mothers, are, the newer parents are a bit more generous than I was. They take the lunch to school. No lunch money. Yeah. So it's either you get lunch money or you get... So if this boy is like uh, me or anybody like that, then obviously he was given his lunch and he sacrificed his lunch. Now that sacrifice fed 5,000 men besides women and children. Hallelujah. Your sacrifice opens the door for many to be blessed. You know, so that 1,000 you put on the altar to help build it, buy the church building, it is not for, it's like a boy's lunch. For the rest, it, go past your life. You will be dead and gone. And the building will still be here, and people will still be worshiping. So yeah, that one lunch, that one thousand, is like a, your your monthly lunch that you have sown. But for many many years, people will be blessed. Fifteen thousand people will eat because you gave. Hallelujah. 15,000, because if you have been conservative uh, calculation, if you have 5,000 men, then obviously you have more than 5,000 women. And if you have 5,000 women, 5,000 men, then obviously the children will be more. So if you put them together, conservatively, you are looking at about 15,000 people. Because you are saying that the 5,000 men and 5,000 women give birth to one child each. Are <laughs> you getting it? So 5,000, 5,000, 5,000. Conservatively, you're talking about 15,000 people. That's assuming every man has one wife. And from church statistics, the women are always more than the men. So even the men are 5,000, give or take, the women will be between 7,000 and upwards. And men and women, usually the children too are many. Because when they come together, it's only children that comes. Stand to your feet, let's go. 